You are listening to episode 32 of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast, the podcast of two unqualified idiots rambling on sports topics they likely know nothing about for an indeterminate timeline in a hastily thrown together format. Brought to us this week by, can you seriously stay out of the news for one day? One day, Antonio Brown. Just one. I'm Carlos Alcazar, and with me as always is Dave Turbo. The answer is no. I think he's too addicted to the attention. But we shall discuss that later on our main topic. Yes. Of course, Antonio Brown has to be the main topic, at least for the moment, because right now I feel like it's going to slow down a little bit now only because uh, Antonio Brown is running out of options. And he's also going to have potentially some legal troubles to work out, but we'll talk about more about that in the main topic. But first, let's talk about a few news and notes. I want to mainly focus in on a couple of MLB things because we haven't really touched on it too much. And as I said before, now we're in the stretch run. So now we're getting into interesting. And there are still some headlines and little things that are coming up. One is, I would say that... uh, Ronald Acuna's, and I want to say Ronald Acuna, I think that's right, closing in, he's very close. He's got 41 home runs and 37 stolen bases. So he's still three stolen bases shy of hitting that 40-40 club, which would be really huge for a young player of that uh, of that caliber and a really great season for him, obviously. Now, uh, on the other side of the spectrum, strictly from the power side of it, the Mets have uh, Pete Alonso, who hit his 50th home run this week, making him only the second rookie ever to hit 50 home runs, the other one being uh, Aaron Judge, who hit 52 home runs a couple of years back. The interesting thing about both of these guys is they're a little bit older from the rookie category. Pete Alonso is 24, and Aaron Judge was 25 when he hit his 52 home runs. But that doesn't negate the fact that 50 home runs is 50 home runs as a great season, period. And then for a rookie, even more impressive. And Alonso does lead the league in home runs. So a huge season by him. I don't know if that's a harbinger of things to come because it's too hard to say, but it is a very impressive rookie year for him and a Mets team that's kind of on the outside looking in. I think they're three and a half games back of the wild card as we speak, so it might be a bit of a stretch for them to leapfrog, um, I think, at Chicago Cubs, uh, to leapfrog them and to try to get into that wild card spot, but still, it does give the Mets fans a highlight of some kind. The Braves did clinch the division again, which is great for them. You know, as they're trying to rebuild, they're, this isn't the same Atlanta Braves team of uh, of the 90s that I would remember or David would remember. But still, a very good run for that Braves team that are full of a lot of young players. And then, of course, the Astros are now playing tonight for their third straight division title so because they've been on a great run, obviously, which included a World Series championship. So that's huge for them. And Garrett Cole, specifically on the Astros, got his 300 strikeout, um, I believe, this past week. It might have been, if memory serves me, or it might have been a couple of weeks ago now. But that's a huge milestone for him in what is already a really strong pitching staff. Like, that pitching staff is scary good with Verlander, Garrett Cole, and then from uh, Arizona. Zach Greinke. Thank you, Zach Greinke. Like, that pitching lineup is scary good. And going into the playoffs, to me, it makes the Astros kind of a a really strong favorite from my perspective. Oh, absolutely. I would probably predict them to maybe have a real shot at getting back to the World Series and probably winning another one, which would be monstrous for a franchise that hadn't won anything up until a couple of years ago when they could. Yeah, they broke no, their... if you asked me if I had to take a, a bet on the World Series, I'd pick I'd pick them right now. Yeah, I really like that. Which, which pains me as a Dodger fan, but but that's who I would pick. Well, that's the thing, though. Like, the, But that Astros team is scary good. And the thing is, the Dodgers are playing well. So it's a, they're, I think it's kind of wide open. I think there are some interesting teams there. Because obviously the Red Sox completely fell off the season, so they're not at the discussion point. The Yankees are there, you know, but they're kind of a young team. They have great pieces, but the question is, you know, they have they don't really have the postseason experience. The Astros have at least been there and done that, and Verlander has been there and done that, and they have that advantage. And the Dodgers technically have tons of experience. They've been right there on the cusp a couple of times already. 
The question is, you know, at what point do you break through and when does the window close? And that's what the Dodgers are staring the face of. But if you look at it overall, I think you have a lot of good teams that are, are going to make the playoffs. I think that's going to make a really good good MLB playoffs, like depending on the match. Obviously, the matchups aren't set yet, but in terms of who's there, I mean, the look at this right now, right? Yankees are 101 wins as, as of recording. They're over 100. Houston's over 100. Dodgers are over 100. Minnesota is five wins away from being over 100. Atlanta's five wins away from being 100. You theoretically could have Oakland, who's got 93 wins, get over 100. Maybe even Cleveland or Tampa Bay. Like, you could have, like, six or seven teams, almost all of the playoff teams, winning 100 games or more this year. That's crazy. Yeah, it's been a very good year for the for the cream of the crop. The Really, the top end have been, uh, have been fantastic. I'm very intrigued by this year's potential playoff matchups. We want to solidify them, but once we solidify them, I'm gonna, I'm definitely gonna to want to revisit that and take a closer look because I'm really liking what I'm seeing, and this stretch run has gotten us closer and closer and closer. And then, of course, we got the MVP races, which have got you know shaken on their heads when Christian Yelich went down. That kind of changed the complexion. Cody Bellinger might be able to secure the MVP because of that, and then Mike Trout took himself out of contention by getting hurt and being out for the season. That was kind of a Probably a career-defining year for him. He's already had a lot of ton, a ton of great seasons and multiple MVP awards, but he was closing in on having that 50-home run season, which would have been a first for him. But he's obviously gone down with injury, and that's kind of opened up the field in the American League to see who else could step in and become that MVP uh, down the stretch here. So it's still not, uh, not completely clear. It's still a little bit murky. So there's definitely some interesting stuff happening in Major League Baseball, uh, especially down the stretch drive. Absolutely. So with all that said, um, is there any other news and notes that you want to discuss? The NBA has created some new tampering rules in terms of punishment for what's going to happen if a team's found to be tampering. So a couple of the highlights, they could potentially suspend executives, take away draft picks, or even potentially void contracts. Uh, these are all on the table with the new rules. Uh, fines are going to double, so they're going to go up from $5 million to $10 million. And if it's an unauthorized agreement, so that's... Um, for tampering with the team or player personnel and then fines for unauthorized agreements jump from 6 million uh for a team and 20 uh, sorry $250,000 for a player. And I I don't think it's one of those things like it's not a surprise. I think this season the way a lot of the the free agency went down it's shown us that something fishy is going on there, especially with the amount of free agents that signed Oh, the clock's just turned. It's it's free agent day, you know, the first day of free agency. And look at all the players who signed and all the big names who signed. Clearly, they've been talking ahead of time and you're not supposed to do that. So the question I think is, is not whether this needed to be done or whether these are good punishments or uh, what's the word? Proportional punishments, I guess, if you will. The question is, is it going to make any difference? And right now I'm thinking probably not the way the system is, but who knows? I mean, that remains to be seen. No, probably not. I don't think it would. I do think that making that adjustment is... I honestly don't think the NBA expects it to make a big difference. I think what they're trying to do is they're, A, trying to play PR and trying to act like, well, we want to crack down on this. But also, I think what they're really trying to do is they're trying to send a message to the teams that, like, hey, we know you do this. And the truth is, it's not like tampering started this year. It's been going on for years. However... This is the occasion where I would call it the most overt. This is probably the most overt offseason where it was just so blatantly obvious to everybody what was happening that the NBA is like, would you at least pretend, at least, you know, act like this isn't so obvious and make us look bad? If you can just restrain yourselves a little bit and at least chill out yeah. for a couple of days, it won't look so obvious. Especially Exactly. 
Yeah, especially and, if you're playing about I mean, the deadline. It, yeah, and now you have a specific team personnel, like some player, not player, but somebody from team personnel who's responsible for basically certifying that everything's by the book, as well as the owner. So, that, you know, you are sort of taking another step in the direction of saying, hey, this is okay. But like you said, you know, okay, we'll just wait a couple of days and it'll look better and we'll put our stamp on it. And, you know, I think it's really up to the NBA as a league in terms of, are they going to find anybody? Are they actually going to do this? And maybe the first time it happens might be the last time. But again, that remains to be seen. Yeah. It would behoove them to understand, you know what? Let's figure out the let's figure out what we're going to figure out. And then let's wait a couple of days to make it official so that it feels like we went through the normal process of talking after the, the deadline got hit so that people could start talking. At least make the, the, the effort to look like you're playing within the rules. And in the end, the back channel talking is still going to happen. The players talk to each other. You know, if they're in contact with one another, they can communicate any message they want. And it's almost impossible for you to tell what exactly they're saying to each other. Especially, you know, unless they're stupid and just reveal everything to everybody. Exactly. So with all that said, this means the triumphant, we'll call it triumphant, return of the pretentious cross-country running report with Dave Turnbull. Sorry, that sound you hear is the cheering in the background. There is not a single person cheering. So this is a quick one today because, you know, for the people, I wanted to bring it back, but I don't have a ton to say. And it's and I'm just going to say CONCACAF right now, just so you can get that on your bingo card, even though what I have to say today has nothing to do with CONCACAF. But there's two mentions for you, Carlos. Doesn't it, though? Here's I'm going to pose a question to people today on the pretentious cross-country reporting report. And that question is, why does Scotland suck so much? While at the same time, England is arguably better than they've ever been. Wales is arguably better than they've ever been. Northern Ireland is arguably better than they've ever been. And the Republic of Ireland is still pretty darn good. So every country in the British Isles is either really great or at, at the very minimum decent. And Scotland is shite. Utter shite. As, re as most recently exhibited by their two games they played for European qualification for the Euro 2020 tournament. That being a loss to Belgium, and which was a four, I believe, four nil loss, and a, a two one loss to Russia, both at home, and I believe the second goal for the Russian was an own goal. So after being up one nil, so yeah, I don't get it. It annoys me. It kills me because I have Scottish heritage, and I don't understand it why every other country can be good yet Scotland somehow is the one that sucks and hasn't been really relevant since 1998, which was the last time they made a major champ, uh, major tournament. That's what I got for you, Carlos. Haggis is my answer for you. You know Haggis. what? If it wasn't for Haggis, Bagpipes, and Robbie Burns, I don't know, man. Like this, this, the, you know, that's all I can say about Scotland right now. And it's strictly related to soccer, but. Ugh. So many jokes, so many jokes. Anyway. This has been the pretentious Cross-Crowning Running Report with Dave Turnbull. Mercifully, mercifully over. Like I said, haggis. That's my answer for that. All right. You know, have you had haggis, Carlos? Because no. it's actually not that bad. Are you out of your damn mind? I barely, I don't even like potato chips that aren't regular. Like, why on earth would I want something like haggis in my life? I know. I was expecting a rant today as to why, why is it that with the NFL 100 seasons, the logo is on everything now. We're the team logos. So you have, you know, your old school Packers logo on cans of Budweiser. And they do have the Saints logo. I checked and made sure. 
Although it seems to be most cans I've seen are the Pittsburgh Steelers for some reason. Anyway, but you also have them on potato chips, which is fine. In Canada, it's Ruffles potato chips, which are great chips. Here's my problem, Carlos. I have seen two logos. I'm sure there are more, but I've only seen two. I've seen the Green Bay Packers, which are on like sour cream and bacon for some reason. And the Evil Empire New England Patriots, which are on every freaking bag of regular Ruffles chips. Okay? And anyone who know, who's gone to any kind of party ever knows that one of the staples of a party is plain Ruffles potato chips and that Ruffles onion dip. It's a key. They go together so well. Why the hell? But I don't want to eat them because the freaking New England Patriot logo, man, it's killing the chip. So that's a hot take. You should have been the one ranting about that, not me. Listen, the, the reason I'm not ranting about it is for a very, very simple, important reason. One, I've got a hundred other things I can make fun of the Patriots about, about their fine, upsetting citizenship, the kind of quality people they bring in, which we'll talk about in a minute. But in addition to that, it, it's 100% on brand. The ruffle, potato, the ruffle regular potato chip is the most standard potato chip without any additional flavor or anything. What is the most vanilla team we have in the NFL? New England Patriots. Huh, that's fair. Actually. You can put the logo on vanilla ice cream. You can put the logo on, you know, saltless crackers. You can put the logo on almost anything that involves lacking joy. No, I, you know what? Now that you say that, that's fair. I think I think it was a very logical move by the NFL. They knew exactly what they were doing. Now, I, I too, am disappointed as I really don't need the bacon version but to get my Packers fixed. But what are you going to do? I do think it would have made more sense to have multiple teams on some of the flavors, though. To me, it would have made sense maybe like in the case you put – you know, similar to the Budweiser thing. You can have cans with multiple teams and whatever. Let the people choose. Let, let them have all 30 te- uh, 32 teams on each flavor. And then you'll actually, decrease the dis- you'll actually decrease the distribution and at the same time make each bag a little bit rarer. You could totally have done that, I think. Yeah. And then no, let, I hear you. Yeah, I'm with them, you on that. Yeah, let them pick the flavor they want and then get the team they want. And then that's a win, I think, for everybody. And that is the Ruffles Chip Report for this week. All right, man. Do you want to lead into the AB or do you want me to? Because there's a lot here. The year was 2019. We were all in awe at the work of one man, Antonio Brown. The work of a man who managed to get himself run out of town on his own volition in Pittsburgh, managed to get himself into Oakland, managed to get himself run out of Oakland, managed to get himself to New England, and managed to get himself run out of New England all within the context of one calendar year. Within the year 2019. This man has lost technically three jobs in the course of the last couple of months, and we're not even in October. That's talent. And he has officially played one NFL game this season, and right now there is no immediate expectation of when or if or if anybody else would even consider picking him up. And almost every single move in this little melodrama is self-inflicted wounds. It wasn't injury. It wasn't anything specific. But it's just Antonio Brown creating this world around himself where he manages to get himself booted out of every situation entirely by his own doing. I'm not going to rehash the entire Antonio Brown timeline, which we literally did over the last couple of podcasts. However, since the last podcast we did, he managed to get himself booted out of New England, as I mentioned. How does he do this? Well, he doubles down on his, on his accusations that he already has. Another potential victim of sexual assault comes out. A victim who is not suing Antonio Brown and a victim who has not reached out to the authorities to get Antonio Brown into criminal court. However, Antonio Brown still took it upon himself to include the person, the alleged victim, into a group message, which included his lawyer and included other people. And then he basically asked his 
posse, I guess, for lack of a better word, to dig up dirt on the victim so that they could on the alleged victim so that he could prevent somebody that, according to him, was extorting him for money. Now, here's the thing. Whether that's true or not, it's still incredibly stupid because logically that person would then take this, you know, message, uh, you know, this group text, hand it to their lawyer, and then the lawyer can do whatever they need to do with it. You basically just create beyond the allegations themselves. You've created a separate criminal act, you know, in and of itself, threatening or intimidating somebody is not the way to try to um, get yourself out of hot water, especially when you're already on a very thinnest of thin ice with New England in the first place. Yeah, it, I mean, the idiocy here is is palpable. I mean, he's you, you got to be thinking, what are you thinking? And I mean, obviously, we're not legal scholars here, although one of us does teach law. But the point is, you know, in a civil trial, the burden of proof is much lower than it is in a criminal trial. Now, one of the things is a couple of the potential sexual, the alleged sexual assaults actually can't be tried. Uh, the statute of limitations is run out. So mm-hmm. there's that. But it's still, you can go through in a civil trial. And the thing that makes me think of is sort of the O.J. Simpson case, where he was found not guilty in a criminal trial, but had a civil suit uh, brought by the Brown family and the Goldman family go against him, where he actually had to pay a bunch of money. Yeah, I think it was the wrongful death suit. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So the same thing could end up happening to Antonio Brown, uh, you know, because it's basically a, you know, 5149. If the judge believes the story of the accuser more than the, they believe the story of Antonio Brown, Antonio Brown loses. That's all that needs to happen. Yeah. Right. As long as their version of events is more probable than his version of events, you know, and those text messages, if they are linked to him, they are actually his text messages. They don't make him look very good at all. Yeah, and he provided this evidence on his own volition. Yeah, it's, it's right? like you're, it's you're, like, you're adding more information that, in turn, the, the existing civil suit can use against you. You're, you're basically right? like handing I get, them more work. I get in the sense that he's maybe trying to intimidate them to shut them up or whatever, but this person hadn't come forward with anything. And it doesn't, maybe they wouldn't have, but he's, I don't know. He, he just needs to shut up. And, and you know what? He, apparently, he's incapable of doing that and has derailed his career. However, he's somehow still going to get paid $10 million this year. I would be curious to see. Here's the thing, though. Remember what we talked about earlier about how uh, Oakland was able to invalidate his his guaranteed money. I don't know if New England would be in a similar position. Obviously, he did play a game for them at least. He suited up for a game. But I'd be curious if with conduct detrimental to the league, where the league could potentially step in, I'd be curious to see if there wasn't some kind of a statute or a way that they could claw back at least some of that money. The point is. But I'm not, I'm not sure they would want to. I mean, it seems to be from the statements that have come out that, you know, things ended somewhat amicably between him and the Patriots. I mean, he posted a a thing about how Tom Brady is the greatest and, you know, go win it. And, you know, thanks to the Patriots for the opportunity. And, you know, Tom Brady's like in his Instagram posts. You know, he posted like three hearts on one of his thing when he posted a picture of him and Tom Brady. So my thing is, I'm not sure they would do that because it seems to be that, yeah, they released him. But it, there doesn't seem to be hard feelings, at least not yet. At least that haven't come to the forefront. Well, I think it's going to be dependent on what else he says. Because at this point, every time he opens his mouth or does something on social media, he sets himself up for the next thing, whatever that's going to be. And that's really the overriding issue with Antonio Brown right now. Above all else, if we, if we just take it to its core element, 
is that Antonio Brown doesn't know when to shut up. He doesn't know when to just focus on the game of football and doing that thing that he does well. Because the reality is, from his original accuser, they were in negotiations to try to get a settlement for months. It wasn't as though the accuser came out of left field with the civil lawsuit right on day one. They had apparently been talking for a while, their, their respective teams, to try to work something out, and Antonio Brown in the end couldn't come to an agreement for whatever reason. And yeah. we're not privy to that. So the point is, he could have closed this chapter off before any of it ever got out here, which in turn would have prevented the uh, Sports Illustrated article, which brought up the additional accuser, which in turn led to this text message exchange, allegedly, which in turn opened up this whole can of worms for Antonio Brown. So everything is a self-inflicted wound with Antonio Brown. He has no one to blame but Antonio Brown. Yeah, and the thing that I find interesting is clearly it seems to be that Antonio Brown is addicted to the attention more than anything else. But the problem is he gets the attention because he plays football and was a good football player. And I don't think he's going to play football again for some time. Okay, before I say why, I'm going to, I'm going to make this prediction right now. Antonio Brown will play in the XFL. Mark it down. But the point is, right now, there's still... The NFL is investigating him, right? They're going through and looking at these claims of sexual harassment, sexual assault, and they're going to see if, if potentially they want to fine him, suspend him, whatever. Depends on what they come up with. And they've interviewed or have scheduled interviews with all of the accusers and everyone involved that we know of. So it's very doubtful that any team is going to sign him before that part is cleared up. Now, it might be very doubtful that any team is going to sign him anyway. But by the time that's all done, you know, who wants this guy? Who wants that distraction, right? Unless you're, you know, a desperate move. And really, even the team that's most desperate for wins, the Miami Dolphins, is they want to tank, so they're not going to take him, right? And you look at a lot of the other teams, I don't think they're going to take him. So, you know what? I mean, it's quite, it is conceivable that he has played his last down of football. Yeah, the reality is, though, even if they were interested in taking a flyer on him, the biggest risk above all else, in addition to Antonio Brown saying something else or creating another problem of some kind that you'd have to deal with as a team, is the fact that now with additional... The, the text message exchange really, like, I, it feels like I'm harping on it, but I'm not. The, the fact is that additional piece, the offshoots, the, the areas that that suddenly opens up legally in terms of a problem could put him on the commissioner's exempt list because the commissioner's exempt list doesn't go away. It's not a thing where like, just because they didn't use it on the first day, doesn't mean they can't use it on the second day or on the third day. And exactly. more ammunition is being given daily for the commissioner. Which is, to which is exactly why I feel teams would shy away from signing. Yeah. So it's, the second he goes on the commissioner's exempt list, then there's no point. It's, you're, you're, it's, it's done. Uh, he would stay there indefinitely until something changed. And yeah. then no team would want. The only uh, counter that I would give to your XFL prediction is that, now, he is Vince McMahon, and of course, everything he says needs to be taken with a grain of salt, but the XFL did make a whole pitch about the idea that they were going to shy away from people with um, shady past and criminal records. Antonio Brown technically doesn't have a criminal record, but he is positioning himself in such a way where there would be legal proceedings against him. So while the XFL would be pro a potential landing spot as far as intrigue, they couldn't really offer him the kind of money that he probably would want. And even if they could, what good does it do if he positions himself in such a way? If he gets himself into the right type of legal hot water, then they'd never be able to get him onto the field anyway. And the kind no, of and they would get enough. and they would get called out on their whole, you know, we're not going to take in, you know, criminal folks or folks with criminal histories. That was one of their early pitches. Now, mind you, they have backpedaled a little bit on that. So I don't know 
if they would now consider it. But that that would kind of potentially leave out folks with kind of sketchy past, like a Johnny Menzel or whatever. That's why it's not a given that the Johnny Menzels of the world would end up in the XFL. But Antonio Brown, who has a current um, civil proceeding against him, and then he opened up the door for a criminal proceeding because intimidation is is something you could sue him for or something you could try to go to trial for if you really wanted to. And that's new and that's fresh. And the statute of limitations has not run out on that one. So it'd be it'd be interesting to see what legal options the uh, the alleged accuser would use if they're able to pinpoint those text messages to Antonio Brown, which I would think is something they would be able to do fairly easily if he did, in fact, send them. Yeah, exactly. So, like I said, he's opened himself up to some potential legal hot water, which suddenly makes him even less appealing to even an XFL who would be willing to put up with a certain amount of controversy. But it's like, has he made himself too toxic for anybody to even touch? They might want to keep their distance. Yeah, no, this is fair. This is fair. Yeah, so that's the big thing. Now, let's take a different angle from this, away from the Antonio Brown side of it. What do you think the Anto- what do you think um from one perspective, you could say that they took a flyer and they it was a relatively low-risk proposition, but what do you think about the Patriots for taking on somebody with the sketchy recent history of Antonio Brown and taking a stab at it? I don't like them for doing it. I but I don't know if it's because I just don't like the Patriots in general. You know, I, I mean, let's put it this way. If the Saints had signed him, I'd go, maybe this fills a need for a, another receiver because the Saints do need that. But at the same time, like, I don't really want all the distraction that goes with it. As a fan of a team, I don't want that. I think New England's definitely got egg on their face. But then again, New England has had egg on their face multiple times for many things, and they don't seem to care. Right? And you know what? Here's the thing. With Antonio Brown, without Antonio Brown, I fully expect them to go on winning. So I really don't think this changes anything. It, it's not going to change the way people think about New England because I think those those opinions are, are there already. Uh, you know, I think it was kind of folly for them to go sign them and kind of dumb and, you know, took away from the product on the field, if you will. But at the same time, based on their schedule and who they're playing and the way they're playing, it didn't matter. So it was kind of a, a no-lose scenario for New England. Yeah, from the on-the-field perspective, I really don't expect it to impact them one way or another. I think they're going to continue rolling on. The The division they're in is weak. So the Bills are showing a little bit of feistiness, but the Jets are on their third-string quarterback. They're not going anywhere. Miami is a disaster. So realistically, from a division perspective, they have no threat. And realistically, from the AFC perspective, the only teams that present any potential challenge is Kansas City, whose defense is still suspect, Baltimore, who's still an unknown quantity. You have to like certain things you're seeing from Lamar Jackson and that team, but at the same time, they're not necessarily ready for primetime. The traditional AFC powers, the Pittsburgh is is in disarray. I'd like to see some more from Mason Rudolph, which would be very interesting, but I don't think Pittsburgh is in any position to challenge New England in any way, shape, or form. And San Diego has never challenged New England in any way, shape, or form. So it's one of those things where I don't think there's really anybody in the AFC who can really uh, push them. From the uh, like I said, from the Antonio Brown perspective, there's not a lot there more to add because all of it's played out. I think at the moment it's just kind of like everybody sitting back, taking a breath, and going, "All right, what's next? What is the yeah. next thing that's going to happen with this guy?" Because right now, technically, he's not on anybody's roster, so now it's just kind of sitting back and seeing what happens with him. From the Patriots' mm-hmm. perspective, I think the beat go- roll beat goes on. It's just going to be another uh, another thing that they're going to go cross and then ignore and then move on from. Yeah, exactly. That's fair. One thing I'm going to actually throw in here, uh, it, it's not really a news and note, but it's more of a question because uh, the Antonio Brown, like I said, I don't really want to drive it in the ground anymore, but I do have a question. Have you checked out any of, uh, uh, I, I want to say it's Gartner Minshew, 
or Carter Minshew. I want to say Gardner Minshew the second. Yeah. Yeah. Even though there's no the first. Interesting dude. Yeah, he's uh, he's taking on cult status. I, I I like some of what I saw from him because uh, because they played uh, they played in the Thursday nighter and I watched it. It wasn't a good game, but uh, he did show some flashes of very interesting. But it's one of those things where I think the character um, I, at the moment, until I see more, he's right. His character and his in his brief legend that's growing is uh, it reminds me very much of a uh, Mark the Bird Fidrich. Not, not in my lifetime, but somebody who's a character above all else at the moment. Now, mind you, Fidridge was able to back it up, at least for a period of time, as a pitcher. But um, there have been some characters in different sports, and right now he is poised to be one of them, especially with um, with uh, Nick Foles out with an extended yeah. injury. He's going to get an extended audition to play. No, for sure he is. He's going to get some opportunities, and we're going to have to see. He was able to get out the win there against Tennessee, but it'll be interesting to see what the, he looks like against... Uh, more legitimate competition because uh, yeah. Marcus Mariota is not really that good. No. no, no, it's not. No, and that was not a, that was a well in the tradition of not so great Thursday nighters, but uh, it was a game. Yeah, you got to keep with the tradition. Yeah, so that's just something uh, something kind of keeping an eye out on as the season goes on. I'd like to see a little bit more from uh, Mister Minshew the second. Yes, uh, indeed. At least that'll give Jacksonville something to be amused by, if if nothing else, for at least for the rest yeah. of the season. Anything else you want to look at or add on this? No, I think we just move on to what we're looking forward to. All right. So that's fair enough. We're going to be looking forward to. Now, I'm not going to talk about anything on Sunday because we're recording this late on Saturday. So probably by the time you hear it, it may be already happening. But what I will say is that I am looking forward to is we are 100% in the stretch run. All those little uh, MLB highlights that I mentioned to you, Pete Alonso is two home runs away from tying Aaron Judge for the most home runs for rookie. That's interesting. Ronald Acunez could become a 40-40 guy. That would be very interesting to see. I don't know if he can get the three stolen bases. I'd love to see it. And I want to see some strong finishes by some teams because we want to kind of gear up and see who is really... It, it, Dave mentioned all the teams that are in, in within striking distance of 100 wins, but 100 wins is awesome in the regular season. I want to see who's actually playing well, rolling into the playoffs because it's all well and good to have an awesome record, but now which one of them is actually poised to take that next step because you got a bunch of these teams that there's no prohibitive favorite going into the playoffs, uh, aside from maybe the Astros or maybe the Dodgers, just from experience standpoint. They've at least been there recently, so they've got that going for them. But everybody else, you could sell me on almost any team that right now is in contention to get into the playoffs, and I'd be interested in seeing almost any matchup you can build up. Other than the Yankees, no Yankees. Yeah, and so. I, I would say that is something I'm looking forward to as well. I imagine we will be doing an MLB playoff preview in the not-too-distant future. Yes. So that's it for me. I'm going to mainly focus on, I'm going to really try to focus on MLB. Obviously, I am going to be watching the NFL games. We're going to be following some of those storylines going forward. But right now, I'm, I'm really gearing up for MLB because we're really dangerously close to my favorite time of year. I love me some MLB playoffs. So we're getting there. Nice. Um, so that was the big thing I was going to say as well. But the only other thing I will add is, and again, this depending on when we record next one, it could be for the next one too, but uh, next week's CFL games. So Friday, September 27th, Hamilton's playing Winnipeg in Winnipeg. Again, that's number one in the East versus number one in the West. So potentially a Grey Cup preview. Uh, The first game they played together this season, Hamilton did win that one, but that was in Hamilton. So it'll be interesting to see how Hamilton plays uh, on the road in Winnipeg with their backup quarterback, who's actually been doing fairly decently lately. That's fair. Half the league is playing with their backup quarterback, so you uh, you gotta have your backups. Yeah, we did already. As discussed in a previous episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Indeed. 
So as far as looking forward to, is there anything else that you want to throw in there or is that good? That's all I'm going to go with there. Well, I guess you could say also the stretch run in the MLS is happening too. And to see if Toronto FC indeed does make the playoffs and what the playoff seating is. So I'll say that. We can look forward to that in a future pretentious cross-country running report. Probably. You know it. Maybe. So that's it for us. You know, kind of a truncated episode. For the most part, it was focusing on the Antonio Brown piece because that's really what kind of dominated those headlines. Again, the man really is trying to get a lot of attention. I think it'll be a more standard episode now. Hopefully, crossing fingers, famous last words. Antonio Brown could douse himself in kerosene and light himself on fire between now and the next episode for all we know. But Or don the Raiders mascot, as predicted. I'm still holding out hope. There's still a chance. Maybe that's his in back, his in back in the NFL being the mascot and proving my prediction right. You guys should have bet on this when you had the chance. But as far as that's it for us for this week, we will be back for next week's episode. But now it's time for some shameless plugs. So as always, it's our Instagram is at unnecessary podcast, Twitter at unnecessary underscore pod site is unnecessary pod.podbean.com. I have been tardy on all the social medias. That is my bad. I will try to make sure I throw up at least a clip from this episode or something. Maybe, uh, maybe us uh, making fun of uh, Antonio Brown because there was plenty there. But uh, also bear in mind that we do have a YouTube channel. You can search it under Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast. Just type that in and you'll find it. We have archived versions of all our episodes, including cartoon versions of our faces. So you can have that static image there as you listen to the episode. But also if there is something crazy, if he does in fact let, you know, pour kerosene on himself and light himself on fire, that being Antonio Brown, I'm sure I'll throw up a video about it. That'll be uh, separate from the regular podcast feed. But you also do have the archived podcast in there if you want to check it out. Outside of that, you can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, and Google Play. Anywhere where you get your podcasts, we're available on all of those platforms. So that's it for myself and Dave. We will catch you on the next episode of the Unnecessary Nonsense Podcast.